Welcome to Wonks and War Rooms, where Polcom Theory meets on-the-ground strategy. I'm your host, Elizabeth Dubois. I'm an associate professor at the University of Ottawa, and my pronouns are she, her. Today, I'm recording from the traditional and unceded territory of the Algonquin people. In today's episode, we're talking all about citizenship and digital citizenship with Anoa. Anoa, can you introduce yourself, please? My name is Anoa Korku. I am one of the co-founders of Civic Tech Toronto, which is billed as one of North America's largest civic hacking communities. I am also a public servant, and I'm not speaking in my capacity as a public servant today, but as an engaged citizen who's really excited about what tech can do for the world that we live in. Awesome. Thank you. So... Today, I want to talk about the idea of citizenship and our under- how our understanding of citizenship might change when we consider kind of like the digital context and the digital media environment. I'll start off with like the legal perspective, which is, I think, the default definition that a lot of people go to, but not necessarily the default understanding. So people talk about citizenship as, you know, having status within a particular nation state, the idea of having certain rights and responsibilities, you know, like you get to vote, for example, um, you get to pay taxes, for example. Uh, and, and beyond that, sometimes we also talk about the ideas of, you know, being part of national heritage and, and civic culture more broadly within that particular nation state. But it's really like clear geographic bounds and it's a legal definition. Another way, though, that we could think about citizenship is in terms of identity and belonging. And this sort of cultural citizenship uh, is one that I find a bit more useful. It's the idea of thinking about who has a set of shared experiences, who has some sort of shared identity and connection. And that might map on to geography and it might map on to legal status, but it doesn't necessarily have to map on to those things. So before we go any further, does that make sense for you? Is that your understanding of citizenship? What kinds of definitions of citizenship do you tend to make use of? Yeah, so I think those two are both really great places to start. So I think the sort of legal definition is what we understand. So if you think about, you know, nation states, whether depending on your politics, whether or not those nations are created uh, autonomously or imposed on the people in those areas, um, that's a sort of really great proxy for understanding what citizenship is because you have to have some sort of piece of paper that shows your citizenship. I think the other piece around... um, Citizenship being maybe a little bit more loosely formed is something that particularly in the digital era, we need to start thinking very differently about. So, I mean, you know, what what entails being a citizen? Does it mean being engaged or does it mean having some sort of formal affiliation with a group? So I think particularly when you start to think about the rise of the alt-right and these kind of things, are those different forms of nationhood and statehood and citizenship? Uh, within the confines of the digital world. And so I think that we're starting to see a very different way of thinking about citizenship. And I would also say that there's a really interesting piece about, you know, what happens to folks who maybe live in and are engaged in the society, but do not have legal status in that place. So if you're a refugee or you're somebody with implied status, or you're somebody waiting, you're still somebody who's an active part of that community, but you're not considered a citizen, but you may pay taxes. Um, For example, uh, I remember when I was uh, a permanent resident, I wasn't a citizen, but I was politically engaged. You know, I cared about who my representative was. I paid taxes. And so I think thinking about citizenship, both in the formal sense, but also in the informal sense in terms of 
communities and community building is a really interesting way to think about it. However, the idea of citizenship is also inherently underpinned by ideas of power and the question being like who determines what a citizen is and what a citizen's rights are uh, and so if you're somebody who doesn't have power um, within that context what does it mean to be citizens and then I think there's a whole at least in the Canadian context a really interesting question um, when you think about indigenous folks and indigeneity and the notion of citizenship when that's basically a stolen land overlay. Uh, what does citizenship mean in that context? And obviously I'm not indigenous and I don't claim to speak in that, but I think that's something that I've been very interested in thinking about in the broader sense is, you know, people consider themselves Canadians or Americans. Um, and those are states that were created by settler colonialists. And so they define citizenship as belonging to this, what I would call manufactured state, which lives on top of many nations that have a very different notion of what statehood and nationhood and community look like. I think the only other area where I sort of think about this a lot is within the context of former colonial states in general, where you know there were many nations and somebody drew with a pen a border and determined that this is a place where citizens live. And yet you have people from many nations living in these areas who have nationhood, like associated with their ethnic groups, but, you know, they also are citizens. So I think it's something that I think a lot about, um, you know, I think when you ask someone where they're from, uh, how do you define citizens? Like, is that where you grew up? Is that where you have a passport? And so it starts to become really interesting. But I think, yeah, when you're using it as a, as a legal definition, it definitely can be rife with challenges. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a really long-winded answer to your question, but it's clearly something I think about a lot. Yeah, that's great. And it's, I think it's, you've brought up a lot of really crucial components. I think, you know, your mention of, of power and, and who gets to decide who counts as a citizen and who doesn't count is a really crucial one that is easy to gloss over when you're casually using the term citizen, but really is so integral because it can be so exclusionary. And particularly if you are somebody you know, like me, like I'm a, I'm a white person living in Canada. I have always known that I am a citizen here. And like, I was born here. I automatically got a passport. Like I went through none of those struggles of figuring out whether or not I counted. And so it's easy if you're in my position to not notice those power structures. And that's a real problem because these power structures underpin our entire political system, right? Like there are always going to be decisions that are being made to determine what services you get or don't get to determine which kinds of things are invested in and which ones aren't which potholes get filled and which potholes don't get filled right so I I'm really glad that you brought up that idea of power I wonder about the idea of citizenship and and thinking about as government service delivery has become more and more digital, particularly in the context of a global pandemic where we're all online an awful lot. You know, what conceptualization of citizen is useful there? Uh, and maybe you don't use the term citizen in those contexts specifically because you would end up bound by legal definitions. I'm not sure. How does that work? So when you think about citizenship within the digital context, I think there's a couple of things that I love to think about. So I think one, when you think about online movements and the idea that these online movements can have a real impact on our day-to-day -day lives. So if people are organizing online, 
um, let's say around something to do with democracy, that can translate into like a protest on the street. And we've seen, particularly during this time of COVID, a number of global movements that have really, really been shaped by what's been happening online, but what people have been sharing online. And so in that situation, I mean, are we human citizens? Like, do we all care about anti-Black racism? I think there's been a general sentiment from folks who care about humanity in general, who have said, you know, there is an issue that we need to address. And in that situation, this is something that's happening in, in the U.S. This is something that people who can vote in the U.S. election have an influence over, but it's something that affects the entire world or at least affects places that have you know a colonial legacy and so when you start to think about it within that context i think that you know citizenship might not be the right word to use uh, maybe it's something like collective or maybe the term citizen simply means someone who's politically involved in something and so maybe it means that we broaden our definition uh something else i often think about is i, I believe it was estonia who has a sort of like digital citizenship where you can be a citizen and i you know I mean, that starts to raise really, raise really interesting questions. If a country will give digital citizenship, then what is citizenship? Is it simply a badge of honor? Is it simply like a term? Um, and I think that's a really, really interesting space because I think we always forget that there are people who have legal status in Canada, for example, who are taxpayers who are not citizens. And so if you define service delivery strictly based on who is a citizen, there is a huge number of people that are going to be excluded from that narrative and who are going to be excluded from the design of the services that you provide. If you think about it more in terms of who are residents, I think that's a much better proxy when you're thinking about service design, particularly at the public service delivery level, because then it's the nuance of people. It's people who are undocumented. It's people who are documented. It's people who have citizenship. Um, it's people like me who have become citizens more recently and have a very, you know, you know, maybe have a range of experiences. And so I, I always challenge folks to think when you're designing anything digital for access is like, think about who you're designing for. Is define your user by their need, not by the term that you think or the box that you think they fit into, because I think that it's very easy to run the danger of being limited in the way that you think about your scope. I still, I still struggle to think about citizen as a really limited thing because I have lived in countries where I have not been a citizen, but I've been really actively engaged. Uh, and then, you know, people assume you're from that country, but what does being from that country or that space or that geographic place really mean? Um, so... Yeah, I think it's 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 something that there's value in adding a little bit not more nuance to. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a really great answer to the question, and I think it really points to some of the problems we have with using the term citizen or the idea of citizenship. I in my academic work started using the idea of citizen or citizenship very intentionally to counter a view of people as users of technology or consumers. A lot of the conversation in uh, political communication work that I was doing, we were trying to understand the role of technology, still trying to understand the role of technology in these political communication practices. And we kept defaulting to the like Silicon Valley description of users and like how many eyeballs. And I really wanted the people that I was trying to understand to be more than eyeballs or users or clicks, right? Like I really wanted to view these people as having agency. And the idea of citizenship became useful because it, it, it suggests some sort of 
civic connection. It, it evokes this idea of civic experiences, whether or not you do, you know, go to protests, actively engage and, and have that sort of very explicit kind of engagement, or whether it's a more passive existing in this political system and being thought of as part of that system. You know, I think that that is a helpful tool. Uh, and so that's one reason I have found the term to be helpful. On the flip side, in media studies more broadly, we talk about audiences all of the time, which I think also disempowers individuals in a way that can be problematic. But I haven't found a term that kind of gives this agency, but then also isn't exclusionary the way citizenship is. Have you found any terms that are like that? Or, or what's your favorite way to conceptualize the public that you're trying to think about and engage with? Um, I think within the context, at least, of civic tech, you hear people use the word civic, which I think speaks to sort of the broader idea of being engaged in this space in which you either live or have an interest in being a part of that community. Uh, and sometimes people say, use civic hackers, right? Like the idea that a lot of time there are people who seek change. Uh, and I think that, you know, when you think about hacking, people think it's got this really negative connotation. But in, in general, it really just means repurposing something or taking something that is not meant to have a particular use, deconstructing it and using it for something else. That could be for both nefarious purposes as well as like, you know, a platitude of other things like we're trying to like make the world a utopia. Um, so I really love the use of the word civic. So whether it's civic leaders or civic, like, you know, civic something, because to me, that suggests something a little bit more. But I think that, yeah, there isn't really a word. I think you're right. Users, when you think about it, at least in the tech space, whether it's political communication or tech, um, it is a disempowering word, right? Like, because the idea is like you as the, you know, the, the author and creator understand what it is. I mean, I think for me, um, I'm a huge proponent of sort of design methodology, which is like, you know, very people and human centered. And so people, putting people at, this, at the center. So I would, you know, some type of, term that speaks to people mm -hmm. um is a big thing but i think that part of the challenge is it's like what context are we talking about it in and i think like the context really matters uh because if you're talking about it at a grassroots level you're having a very different conversation than if you're talking about it at a governmental level which is a very different thing than if you're talking about it at a corporate level um and so i think that you know the context really matters in this situation and i haven't found a term that defines that. I think I've always struggled with the term citizen because I've lived in places where I've been engaged and not been a citizen. And, and I've been a valuable member of that society and I've been able to contribute in the way that an active citizen would. Um, but under the definition of what a citizen is, I haven't been one, but I've been civically engaged. So I don't know, maybe it's something to do with like civic engagement. Yeah, I think that, that those points make a lot of sense. I think the idea of of the context being essential. You know, sometimes these terms are useful. Sometimes what matters is who is legally a citizen versus PR versus undocumented versus like whatever the categories are. Like sometimes that is actually what matters. Lots of times that's not actually what matters. And so we have to come up with these other, other words. Or, I mean, one argument is we need to take the idea of citizenship and and redefine it. We need to say that, okay, you can have your legal definition of citizen, but like that's not actually the one that we want people to think of in common 
discourse, right? Like there's lots of legal terms that have very specific meanings when, uh, but when they're used out in the rest of the world, we understand them to be something else. I wonder if you think citizenship is one of those ideas where we could say, you know, like, no, to be a citizen is this sort of like civic participation or, or engagement. Like one of the things of saying civic leaders is that requires you to be a leader to get that designation and and like there are people who aren't leaders they're just existing Mm -hmm. in this civic space in terms of citizenship i think really thinking about as as i'd mentioned thinking about the context is really important but i think also thinking about you know what is the jurisdiction within which you're having this discussion so if you're thinking about being in a common law jurisdiction then you know those definitions are those definitions i think obviously when it comes to the digital landscape thinking about whether you use the word users or citizens whoever is going to be interacting with whatever you're creating think about what that person is like what is that person motivated by what is that person facing as a barrier. And I think if you think of the end user, quote unquote, as a person with real motivations, with real challenges, um, and try to really flesh out who that person is, I think that that's a much more useful way to think about citizens or users rather than focusing on the word. So really thinking about how do I empower the person who's going to be using this technology or the person who's going to be interfacing with this service to interface with it and how do I, re- you know, reduce barriers to access, um, whether those are financial barriers or technological barriers? And I think one of the things, too, that people often don't think about when they have discussions about um, citizenship, particularly when it comes to the digital space, is that there are a lot of people who cannot access technology. So they can access technology either because they're physically in a space where You know, like you're in Northern Ontario where internet's just not great. So you may have a computer, but you, it's really expensive to get internet access, or you may, may not be able to afford a computer, or you may not be able to afford a smartphone, or you may not be able to afford a data plan. And so a lot of times people are talking about designing technology, completely ignoring the fact that there are people who cannot access technology. Are those people citizens as well? Right. And so I think that we need to be having a much more nuanced conversation about access because when you start to make everything digital first there are people who are going to be excluded from that and what does that mean for people who within the legal bounds are actually citizens if they can't access the things that they require to prove their citizenship for example so i think that it it, it raises a whole bunch of things but i think really reframing the paradigm around humanity and and people might be a much better proxy than just thinking about it simply as a legal definition. Yeah, I that's really great. I'm really glad you brought up that digital context because you know as as digital technology, the internet became more ubiquitous, scholars started talking about digital citizenship. We also had like the netizen phase where we were talking about like, right. Right. Where it's like, Oh, you're out in cyberspace. And now you're part of that nation state, which is not a nation state, but it's the wide world of the internet. Um, And, and the, the early ideas of digital citizenship were all things like, 
oh, well, it's acts of citizenship that you do entirely online, or it's the behavioral norms that you use to figure out how you're supposed to interact on Facebook or MySpace or whatever you're using, depending on where we are in the, the history of, of social media. Um, and, and digital citizenship was first sort of like contrasted to offline citizenship. There was this idea of like, slacktivism right you're just like you're doing the easy things online rather than going out and doing the hard things on the streets and then people were saying well wait a second actually we use digital tools to organize and to mobilize and those are acts of citizenship that are really necessary and they help for offline as well as online kinds of engagement in your political system so you know i think that the idea of who counts when we start to think about the digital components is really crucial because the current way we're thinking about citizenship in these digital contexts is one where, you know, you might exist in some combo of online or offline, or you may choose not to be online. You may not have the opportunity to be online. Doesn't matter. You're still going to be impacted by that digital context, right? You're still going to have that digital context influencing what your government is doing or not doing, what the services you have access to look like, where your information is designed and created and then sifted out to you, even if you're not, you know, on social media yourself, chances are something that you've heard filtered through social media before it got to you. Yeah. I think one of the things I always say is this, tech is a tool, not a solution. And I think people using it as a panacea for solving social ills is like a huge issue in general. Um, Mm -hmm. Because if you rely on technology as a way to solve, you know, a tacit problem, you're putting the onus on like one or two people or coders to solve this problem, right? Um, and, And so for me, I think that really when we're talking about digital citizenship or creation or anything to do with the digital realm, the question is, what is the way that you're answering looking at the problem? If you're looking at technology as, as, as like I said, as this panacea, like I think that that's the wrong place to start. If you're looking at it saying, what's the problem we're actually trying to solve? And is technology going to help solve this problem? I think that's a much more nuanced and helpful way to really think about what technology does. I think on the other hand, like you said, you know, whether or not you're engaged in the digital sphere, something that happens online or through a technology platform will affect you. And so I think really thinking about that is important. One of the things that I think a lot about at an intellectual level is the ownership of technology. So unless, I mean, obviously if we're talking about digital government, that's one thing, but the majority of the things that we use are owned by private corporations. So they own our data, Um, you know, Mm -hmm. they, there's, there's, and there's not really a conversation about corporations as citizens and what their responsibility is to, you know, the people who are using their platforms in terms of the data the access to the data, their privacy. And so I think that there's like a whole other conversation when it comes to this that we're just not talking about, right? Like, you know, if if, if I talk about Facebook, Facebook is a multi-billion dollar company. It's beholden to shareholders. It's not beholden to me as a citizen. And yet 
you have a situation where Facebook is being used to radicalize people, is being used to create division. Who has accountability in that situation? And so now we are in a situation where there is no accountability in terms of being a vehicle for divisiveness. But if that was a newspaper, we would be having a completely different conversation about whether or not it was appropriate for them to be carrying those things. And so I think, you know, we can talk about legal frameworks, but there's no legal framework for dealing with what's happening right now online. And it's going to take quite a while for, I think, our legal systems to catch up to what's going on. And so I think that's something where I, I don't think that's a political, that's a discussion that we're having. And I think when you think about things like sidewalk labs, like that was a really good example of what happens when you have civic spaces and civic issues interacting and interfacing with corporate interests and i mean obviously right now what ended up happening was that alphabet pulled out but that was because people regardless of their citizenship status were really asking tough questions and were civically engaged and said hey we get that a smart city is a great thing but what does it mean for me accessing what should be a public space what does that look like you know, and I think that these are now some of the things that we're going to have to really start grappling with is this idea of the public good being owned by private interest. And so for me, I think that's really got to be the next frontier of any discussion about um, citizenship or access when it comes to this, because that's just not something that we've really been equipped for either as, as people who are users or citizens or human beings. And I think on the legislative side, obviously, people are thinking about it, but I don't think that it's something that's in a space now where it's necessarily top of mind. Yeah, I think that that is a really good example. And and the idea of, you know, these major companies do not have the public good as their base model, right? Like their shareholders are. It's not the public good is is really essential and really crucial when we're thinking about how we engage with our political and social systems in a digital context because these are major players that aren't going anywhere because they're doing useful things in our lives right like they're they're still helpful in many ways even though we need to um be thinking critically about their role and and as you've described that example it makes me think you know maybe Maybe the thing is we need to see more value in calling somebody a member of the public, right? Like maybe that's the maybe that's the word that I'm hunting for. Maybe that's the description of the individual who has some sort of agency that is is useful here. And all of this kind of brings me back to where we started the conversation, the idea of those legal definitions versus more cultural-based definitions of citizenship, those ones that are focused on the idea of shared identity and a sense of belonging and a sense of community, the, those definitions of citizenship which require us to think about our social relationships to each other and the structures that support or not those relationships. Because I think you know, social media and other digital tools can create the environments in which communities can exist and can support a sense of cultural citizenship, um, you know, even if Facebook exists across a whole bunch of different countries, right? Like if you're going to be a member, uh, a digital citizen via your Facebook presence, that's not geographically bound. And so uh, the idea of cultural-based versions of citizenship might actually be more useful there too. I agree. And I also think that, you know, 
you know, as much as I sound, you know, like sort of like I'm, I'm saying the technology is, is terrible. I love it. Like, I mean, obviously that's why I'm in the civic technology space. That's why I'm, I'm really into it because I think it's incredibly empowering. Uh, and I think that what it does is it brings together communities of people who might not otherwise be able to connect. So it could be that you're, you know, geographically disparate or maybe, you know, like, it could be that, you know, maybe you're a person who has an identity that in your particular country is illegal or it could, you know, bring death or destruction to your family. Um, but, you know, you find people online and you're able to build a community. So I think that there is a lot of utility uh, to having it. I think it's just that we need to have a much more nuanced discussion about what it is and about the role of technology in a democratic society as well as in autocracies, right? Like I think we're obviously very fortunate in Canada to live in a democratic society. But if you're talking about the use of technology in places where the legal definition of citizen are unable to access certain things or certain pieces of information because of information restrictions, technology is actually amazing because it allows people to sort of get past that and to really build what could be the beginnings of a democratic society. So I, so I think, yeah, like I think that there's this tension that I think mm -hmm. is inherent in this discussion, but I kind of love this idea of like a member of the public because it's a lot broader, it's a lot more open. And I think like ultimately when you think about the online space, right? Like it's, it's, it truly is the definition of the public square, right? You can come and you can shout <laughs> in yeah. this space um, and, and, and it's open. And I mean, if I have a Facebook account, as long as I, you know, I'm in a space where I can access it, I could be anywhere in the world. And, and that, you know, Facebook account follows me wherever I am, whenever I log in. And so, you know, it makes you think too, I think about, you know, the changing landscape. And um, yeah, I don't know. I'm very excited to see, to see where things go. And, and I'm, you know, thinking about this has got my juices flowing again. Um, but I think, yeah, I think ultimately what I would say is that citizenship is a great proxy to start a discussion, but we shouldn't end the discussion there. We should move beyond just the legal definition. We should really start to think about context and we should really, really unpack why it's important. I think the why in the situation becomes like the large question that I'm really interested in understanding. Um, I guess like particularly within the role of political communication, you know, like why are we asking who a citizen is and why does it matter? That then really, I think, influences what terminology we use and what interests we're looking at. Um, and yeah, sort of where we go from there. Yeah, that's excellent. That's a really great kind of sum up of the different things that we've talked about and and I think the focus on the why is so essential in my research the why is to try and understand how people process political information how they gather it learn about their political system and then choose to engage or not and and there I need probably this idea of the public right but you gave examples of of government service delivery and like what you care about there is residents. Why? Because you're trying to serve these residents who live in that particular, whatever that geographic bound is for where that government service is, right? So um, I really like this idea of let's focus on the why. I think it's really, really useful and really helpful. 
Yeah, and I think particularly when you start to think about things like radicalization, polarization, and division, um, echo chambers, and all of those other kind of things that happen online, um, it becomes a really, really important question because you know ultimately, if everything that you see online reinforces your point of view, like are you really politically engaged or are you simply engaging in a particular sl- like sliver of political? Um, and I think that's a that's a whole other discussion probably, but I, I think that's that's really something that's worth thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that kind of opens up to a bunch of, of other questions. Um, but we don't have time to go into all of that today. <laughs> We're coming to the end. So I want to finish off um, with one last question. Uh, so I'm going to uh, test you a little bit. Quick little quiz. Okay. Can you tell me the difference between the legal idea of citizen versus the cultural based notion of citizen. We talked about these a bunch in the conversation so far. So I'd say the legal definition of citizen would be a person who subscribes to whatever rules, sets and standards are put into place by the governing authority in that jurisdiction. So that's what, however they define that. I would say the cultural one speaks more to the nuance of connection and human connection and community and what community looks like. Uh, it's often a lot more democratic. It's often about shared values and it's often a lot less about it being imposed than it being mutually agreed upon, whether it's something that people do consciously or unconsciously. That is very excellent. Did you prepare for this test? <laughs> No, I did not. I was listening. <laughs> yes. Ideal situation. Um, that's awesome. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. All right. That was the episode on citizenship. If you'd like to know more about the idea of citizenship or any of the other concepts we've talked about today, go ahead and check the show notes or head over to paulcomtech.ca for more resources. Mm-hmm.